So I'm starting today with a, a single best moment in one of the worst uh, extended periods in my life. It was the summer of um, 1993, and uh, I was living at my dad's place in the Lehigh Valley with um, my girlfriend at the time and my dad and uh, my younger sister. We were all living there because um, the previous November on Thanksgiving Day, my mother had died and she had died uh, very suddenly and unexpectedly and also, as it turns out, unnecessarily. And um, didn't really know where else to go that summer of 1993 in the middle of a graduate program that I was in. So I decided I'd return home. And probably the easiest way that I could explain that uh, summer was that it was just incredibly stressful. We were all in various levels of uh, emotional turmoil and sort of psychic pain. And unfortunately, we all kind of took it out on each other. Uh, we didn't really turn to each other in a great spirit of kindness, but just sort of, um, I think, intensified the pain for each other. Didn't support each other in the way that looking back, I wish we would have. I mentioned that at the time, the woman I was dating was living with us. And I think she just got to a point where she didn't really know what to do with me because I had tried all kinds of other unhealthy ways to sort of alleviate the pain that I was going through. So she gave me a 90 minute gift certificate for a holistic healer, holistic massage therapist. And I figured, well, even though at the time I was pretty skeptical about that kind of stuff, well, nothing else is really working for me. So I might as well give that a try. And so I went in and cashed in the gift certificate. And I was laying down, you know, in my boxer shorts. And, you know, I remember the first time she put her hands on me, I literally sort of physically recoiled. And she said, you know, you're holding a lot of stress in your body. And I turned around and I, well, I'm not going to repeat what I said, but she laughed. And it was quite obvious that that's where I was literally holding my pain all in the body, just very, very tight. And after about 15 minutes, maybe a half hour, I started to loosen up a little bit. I stopped, you know, flinching. And after about 45 minutes or an hour, I actually started to feel for the first time in months, even relaxed, just a little bit relaxed, you know, and felt like I was breathing a little bit, not just from right up here, but maybe from a little bit closer down here in my chest and actually started to feel somewhat, somewhat at peace. And then once we sort of sort of started to get to the end of the the um, the 90 minute period, she said, uh, said, the final thing I'd like to do, I'd like to help sort of cleanse some of this negative energy that you've accumulated all throughout your body. And I was complete skeptic about this kind of stuff at this point in my life and said, Whatever. I mean, you got me in a vulnerable position. You know, do what you want to. And I could feel that right at the base of my spine, like right here. And yes, I'm going to get up and stand and I'm going to preach standing up for some of this. Sorry. Um, I could feel this amazing, like knot of, of energy just form right here at, at the base of my spine. And it just sort of intensified and intensified. And then I could feel physically that it was moving up my spine and continuing to intensify and grow and grow and all the way up. And it was literally like sort of like I was just like something was being pushed up my back and it got to the very base of, of my neck here, my spine and just kind of like, whoosh. I mean, that, that's the best way I could explain it. Just whoosh, just sort of exploded out there beyond me. And I felt, oh, my God, that, that's what it feels like to have shoulders again. I mean, it was like it was absolutely incredible. And we were finished. And I turned, I got up and started reclothing myself and um I said, you know, what what kind of vibrational machine did you, did you use on me to make that happen? She said, I didn't even touch you. So that started to make me sort of believer in some of this uh, this real energy work, this sense of release, of peace. It wasn't just for that moment. That whole rest of that day, I actually felt a sense of 
rest and calm and renewal and and mental clarity well too that I had not felt literally literally since the day my my mom had died I got home I was kind to my sister I was kind to my girlfriend I was kind to my father we all took a swim in the backyard pool that we had and it was just like really easy the problem was the next day I expected to continue to feel that kind of mental clarity and calm and peace and focus and I didn't. See, at that time in my life, I didn't have any of the healthy practices now, the ordinary everyday practices that are woven into the very fabric of my life. And so, in fact, what happened was I started to resent that moment of clarity and that moment of peace, because as extraordinary as it was, at such a high point that it was, I could not get back there. And it really started to frustrate me. I started to resent it. I started to feel as if, you know, maybe it really didn't happen. She must have been lying. There must have been something that she was applying to my back and then snuck behind her own back and said, oh, there's nothing here. But no, it was real. The problem was not with it. The problem was with me, that I was not living a sustainable day in, day out life at that time in my life to be able to grow spiritually in a consistent everyday ordinary kind of way this hope to return to our lives refreshed renewed and not just off the high points but in the everyday moments to have that kind of clarity and focus and peace and grounding we all would hope these could be everyday part ordinary parts of our lives indeed it's part of our beliefs and values here in our dna at wellsprings we talk about that the most powerful spirituality is expressed abundantly in everyday life In the home, in the workplace, in the malls, and on the streets. That kind of ordinary awareness is what I would hope for all of us and for myself as well too. And so I rest here today in this final message on Jack Cornfield's ideas of spiritual maturity from a path with heart. A guide through the perils and the promises of the spiritual life. I end here with his final quality of spiritual maturity. Which is simply... But not at all simply ordinariness at the close of the book where this chapter is. He comes back to some of those themes that he started the book out with. He says it returns to these questions. Did I love well? Did I live fully? Did I learn to let go? He said the signature questions of every spiritual quest and life, the very center, simple questions, seemingly. But the questions we must ask ourselves consistently. He says. From this chapter, he says, in the ordinary quality of our spiritual maturity, while we can honor that capacity of our consciousness to create an infinite variety of forms, ordinariness is interested in what is right here and what is right now. This is the ordinary mystery of breathing. This is the ordinary mystery of walking. This is the ordinary mystery of the trees on our streets and the ordinary mystery of loving someone near to us. That ordinariness of spiritual life comes from a heart that has learned trust, comes from a heart that has gratitude for the gift of this life. He continues and concludes with it. We have the capacity through this ordinary quality of our spiritual growth to learn to heal. And just as naturally our sanity and our compassion extends to the world around us. 
I am reminded in what Cornfield talks about of returning to life, ordinary life, the things we might think are obvious in Eliot's great and mystical words to return to that place that we started and to know that place for the very first time to return to life seemingly, quote unquote, just as it is. But we have changed. And so everything is the same. And yet nothing is the same. Cornfield says in another book of his that there is no such thing as I love. I love this phrase. No, quote unquote, spiritual bypass around everyday life, around ordinary life. In the end, what we have to do is learn to come home to ourselves. And there is no shortcut. There is no should be someplace else. There is nothing else in the spiritual life than learning to come home to ourselves and learning not always to wish elsewhere, elsewhere, elsewhere is wisdom. I make sense personally of words that were given me a long time ago by one of my mentors in ministry for us church. He said it's a snappy little one liner. Forrest was known for this, but I think it could take a whole lifetime to live into the reality of what he said here. He said life is a gift, not a given. A gift, not a given. But we think I think how often it is that we can think, okay, literally that is a given. I see it, I look at something, I look at someone, I look at an experience, and I start doing my mental shorthand, this is what it means. It's so obvious, it's a given. But that kind of perception means that we miss so much of the quality of being and the quality of meaning in our ordinary lives because we are trying to always to get somewhere else. Jack Cornfield talks about this final quality of ordinariness as post-enlightenment practice. Now, myself, not putting myself in the quality and in the category of an enlightened being, there are so many different ways that we can talk about what it means to be enlightened. Non-dual awareness, unitive consciousness, the realization of divinity, full actualization, full flourishing. I think the words finally point to that reality that is real. It finally has no words associated with it. But this is what I believe about a truly enlightened being is that an enlightened being is one for whom nothing, no one, no experience is ever taken for granted. That everything ordinary means nothing is obvious. Everything matters, everything touches everything, everything belongs, everything has meaning. That ordinariness never translates into obviousness. In our tradition, we like to say, it's repeated often, that revelation is unsealed. And too often, we just translate this to say as the Bible is not the final word in religious wisdom. But that's only part of it. If revelation really is unsealed, then revelation is going on right here, right now, and not at all in a book. It only winds up in a book eventually. If revelation really is unsealed, it means that the ordinary, the quotidian, the average, what we might think is the obvious, itself is revelation too. I wanted to give you an example today of something I saw this past week that to me really demonstrated what ordinariness invested with spiritual maturity really, truly looks like. And actually, I have some of you to thank for this because you posted it throughout the week on your Facebook page. It's a video, a video that comes to us from something called the Fellowship Bible Church in Arkansas. Now, I looked them up and about 90 percent of what they profess to believe in is something I disagree with. That's not the point. The point is what's in this video, I find nothing at all to disagree with. It is all about that capacity of learning to perceive what is truly there.
going from taking everything for granted to learning to perceive the mystery and the meaning in everyone. Now, it's not magic like putting on a different set of glasses, but it is about the power of our perception to see what is there in other people's everyday and ordinary lives. If we choose to perceive it. And it is our choice. Now, I especially did this message and did this message series right in the middle and at the end of a political and campaign season. Because I believe that every political season has, well, several things in common, but this one particular thing. It has the exhausting immaturity of constantly raising unrealistic and extraordinary expectations of who we are supposed to be and what we are even more supposed to want. Both sides do it. Maybe you've heard these words before, the last best hope for humankind. Lincoln first penned those words. Reagan said them. And then candidate Obama said them, except he said the last best hope on earth. Now, I would consider myself a patriot, and I absolutely love America. I try to love it maturely, with an honest understanding of its failing as flaws as well as its strengths. But this idea that somehow we are the last best hope for the earth, I think it is absolutely ludicrous to think that we have somehow reached the pinnacle of evolution, and if we screw up, then everyone else from here on out is screwed. This, this is the political ad that I would yearn to see someday. A woman or man addressing the television camera, saying this. These are not the best times. And these are not the worst times. These are our times. Ordinary times with all the promise and all the peril of every time that's come before us and every time that's come after us. These are our times, as ordinary as they are. Let's get to work. The reason I dislike campaign season so much is that our politics reflect the worst part of ourselves. I'm not talking about policies. I'm talking about the energy around it. Because the truth is that, although several of us in this room right now are working on books, not many of us in this room are going to write the great American novel. Not many of us are going to appear in a movie that millions of people will see. Not even many of us will appear in a video that will get put on YouTube and will become a viral video that maybe a few hundred thousand people will not see. That's not the truth of the ordinary lives of most of us. But almost all of us will fall in love and know what it's like to have our heart broken and mended and broken and mended. All of us will know what it's like to lose someone that we love. All of us will know at some point what it's like to be near or outside the door of someone we love who is dying. All of us, even those of us who are not parents, hopefully know the absolutely inestimable value, incredible feeling of what it's like to hold an infant in their arms. But these are daily things. 
Birth and death every day, every single day, daily work, the kind of work that they talk about in the wonderful prayer of Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days so that we may grow a heart of wisdom. Like the video, it is all about learning not to rush and rush and rush elsewhere, onward, somewhere else, but to return and to rest and to be here and to recognize that what is ordinary is not obvious. Perhaps like me, you have struggled with what I like to call an elsewhere addiction at some point in your life or you're struggling with it right now. How do you know if you have an elsewhere addiction? It's very simple. You always want to be elsewhere. That means we cannot experience the ordinary. When we think, okay, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, elsewhere, someplace else, someone else's life and not in mine, elsewhere, then it will be right. But the problem is when we think we get that life or that promotion or whatever it is that symbolizes elsewhere to us, or it is a year or two or five down the road, we start to think, well, elsewhere, another year or two or five, and then I'll get there. To remove the elsewhere addiction from ourselves means to recognize that life is a gift and not a given and nothing is obvious. Cornfield talks in this chapter about two qualities that we experience when we know the ordinariness of life in our spiritual maturity. He says that we know rest and we know what it is to trust. I think of the words sometimes we sing here at Wellsprings, I actually sang them just last week. Peter Mayer, everything is holy now. That's what it is to rest and to trust in the universality of ordinary meaning. This past week, and I find it applies to my life, I think it applies to you whether you're 8 or 48 or 80. This past week I saw something from William Martin's The Parents Dao De Ching. It was posted on the Essential Parenting blog. And I think it applies to all of us, parents or not. He writes, do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is a way of foolishness. Help your children instead to find wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and parents and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand. Make the ordinary come alive for your children. The extraordinary will take care of itself. Learn to trust and to learn to rest. I don't believe there is another way but through the ordinary facts of our lives. Because if it was elsewhere, even if we think we find it momentarily in an extraordinary moment, if it doesn't follow us back in, it can't be integrated, then it is not rest and it is not trust. So many of us upon the spiritual path in this life have recognized what it is to shift our consciousness, to go from that place of seeing, perhaps because of our own anxiety, our own pain, our own anger, or our own just ignorance, what it is to see this life by rote and see even people who we care about by rote, pointing to them, seeing them, seeing that experience and saying, I know what's there. It's obvious. There's no more surprises for me. 
But then as we might shift and see, as some traditions say, by faith, as the Buddhist tradition, they say not blind faith, but by bright faith, seeing that there is that deeper reality to life that is always here for us if we would but scratch the surface of things. But that also is not where our spiritual journey ends, because I think the final and the next step and the lifetime based step is to go into that place in which our faith truly becomes our perception. Our faith becomes our sight. Our faith becomes our hearing. Our faith becomes our ability to truly say, yes, this is here. And we are here. And our lives, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, are completely ordinary. And that's wonderful. Because the meaning that is here is here, not elsewhere. When our faith becomes our sight and the power of our perception becomes that we are able to see not by effort and not even by yearning, but simply because of the powers of our consciousness to perceive the value, the depth, the inestimable beauty of what our lives contain, then that truly is living a spiritually mature life. And it is. Much as I think this character in this little video learns to do. I love the fact that at the final moment where the onward, onward, onward and the impatience has ended. I love that he stops and he doesn't just stop. He has to look into the eyes of a child, which means the ultimate act of humility. You got to bend down. (laughs) You got to kneel down to see what's really there. That is an act of love. Of devotion. Of sanctifying our lives. And it reminds me that at the deepest level of what we call spirituality. Is the opportunity day after day after day. To fall into love. And to go deeper into love. with The great love. That is there for us. Always. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Spirit that is right here and right now. Unbounded and infinite and yet somehow touching the very ordinariness of our lives. May we learn not to look elsewhere. May we learn to come home again and again and again to the quality of our lives, knowing that so much is changing, so much is here. May we awaken to the ordinariness of things. May we cultivate that sense of perception that knows that here, unbounded, beautiful, overflowing the cup. Here is meaning, here is love, here is the opportunity, yes, today, even if what has come before it has injured you so badly that you think it cannot be, here today is the beginning again, to return to our lives and see nothing has changed and everything has changed, if we would open to that great love, if we would open to life itself. Amen.